This Israel report is brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebueagency.com. The Israel Report for the latest news and insights with Anthony Reich. Anthony Reich, Bokertov, good morning. How are you? Bokertov, if I said to you, Wing of Zion, what mm. would that mean to you? And actually to most of us, it sort of sounds like it could be linked to Israel, but it doesn't have a lot of mm. meaning. But going forward, it is going to have meaning because Wing of Zion mm. is the name that has been given to the newly, um, uh, to the newly refurbished plane that from now on mm. will be transporting the prime minister and the president when they travel abroad. A new kind of Israeli one. version mm. of Air Force One. Amazing. Right? Wow. Wow. Wing of Zion. That is what it is called. And it is ready to go on its maiden voyage after the refurbishment. Apparently, it will carry Prime Minister Netanyahu and President Isaac Herzog together to the climate summit, which is due to take place in Dubai in November. Um, they will inaugurate the Wing of Zion, which will become uh, the new prime ministerial and presidential plane, and at quite some cost, because um, this is a plane um, that has cost um, the taxpayers a fair sum of money. In fact, um, this was something that the Prime Minister decided upon and inaugurated during his previous term as Prime Minister. Right. And during the period of the Lapid Naftali Bennett government, there was some thought about whether the money that was being spent was actually worthwhile. And they were quite inclined to try and somehow deactivate the project um, that was ongoing to refurbish this plane to make it appropriate uh, for the Prime Minister and the President. Uh, they didn't do it. And now Wing of Zion uh, will be ready very, very soon. Interestingly, um, it will cost um, somewhere between 400 and 730 million shekels, depending upon who you ask. According to the prime minister's office, the cost is 400 million shekels. However, there are some other estimates which claim that this plane has cost 730 million shekels to refurbish. Of course, there are massive security modifications that have been made. Um, and in the one-third of the plane, which has been set aside for use by the prime minister um, or the president, there is a bedroom, there is a small shower, there is a makeup mirror, apparently seats for security personnel and secretaries. And, of course, um, the uh, rest of the entourage will be assigned regular seats that do not recline. And in addition to that, the aircraft is equipped with a boardroom that apparently can be turned into an operating theater at the push of a button, which is something similar to what um, they have on Air Force One. And of course, this, uh, uh, this airline will, this, this airplane will also have major security, um, features to make sure that whoever is traveling on it will be kept safe and sound. 
um, and uh, they're not disclosing too much about the security details, but we do know that there is some sort of a missile defense system which has been um, uh, installed on the plane to make sure mm, that it mm. is as safe as possible. Anthony, what is the situation in Israel in terms of having a deputy? Is there a deputy prime minister? Well, there is no formal person who is allocated the responsibility of filling the shoes of the prime minister in the event that he's incapacitated. And this has been a, a, a problem that has been identified. Uh, and most recently, when the prime minister was taken ill, he was in hospital uh, for some uh, tests recently, and there was nobody who just automatically fills his shoes that has been formally appointed. And generally speaking, what happens when there might be a reason for the prime minister not to be available, mm. he normally appoints somebody on that day saying you will be responsible for taking care of things while I'm away for this particular trip but that doesn't necessarily give them the right to uh, fill that responsibility on an ongoing basis in the event mm. that the mm. Prime Minister might be incapacitated. So um, even though some people do have the formal title as a Deputy Prime Minister um, or something like that, they don't really have the formal appointment to be able to fill the Prime Minister's shoes in the event that a need mm. arises. Very, very interesting and uh, obviously a potentially dangerous um, environment. Uh, two Israelis were injured, one moderately, in a stabbing attack at the Jaffa Gate in Jerusalem yesterday. It's really become uh, quite a uh, quite a hot spot there, hasn't it? Well, the Jaffa Gate, of course, is an area which is frequented by many people, many visitors, and in fact they have this area that they even call the promenade, which uh, kind mm. of goes along the edge of the uh, the, the wall um, of the old city of Jerusalem towards the Jaffa Gate, sort of comes around from the Damascus Gate area towards the Jaffa Gate. They call it the promenade. And even though we usually associate the name promenade with a beachfront kind of walkway, um, but this is the Jaffa Gate promenade, and it's busy. And the Jaffa Gate, as um, those of you who have visited will know, is also connected to a shopping center, which is right outside the Jaffa Gate, uh, the Mamilla Mall area. So it's busy. There is a lot of activity going on there. It's not only about tourists. It's also about um, Israelis who uh, come and go from the area. It is really, really busy around there. And yesterday, um, it was a 17-year-old resident of East Jerusalem who decided that it would be appropriate to take a, a butcher's knife and just to attack a random person in the area of the Jaffa Gate. It's not difficult to find people around that area. And uh, the person that he attacked first was a 50-year-old man. He stabbed him numerous times. Um, and uh, fortunately, there were medics who were around the area because it's a busy area, because there's a lot of activity. Um, it's fortunately also an area where there's quite a lot of security and medics are around there and they happen to be in the area and they immediately treated this person who was taken off to hospital, um, and he is considered to have been moderately wounded, um, so obviously not too serious, but there were some other people who were treated for more minor stab wounds, and apparently a lady uh, was also treated at the scene for anxiety. But um, this has now become sort of an ongoing thing because the day before we saw that a, a border policeman was attacked in the old city of Jerusalem by a woman who tried to stab him. So this is now two days in mm, a row mm. that stabbing attacks have been perpetrated in Jerusalem. And, of course, it comes after the terror attack, the ramming raid that took place at the end of last week. And so we're seeing ongoing 
terror attacks constantly. And, uh, you know, there are some people who are almost beginning to liken this uh, series of events to what went down in the Intifada. Um, you, you know, we, we had two um, Intifada periods where, where there were um, sustained attacks being carried out. And there are some people who are likening what we're going through now to the Intifada period, um, which um, I think there is some justification to say there is some similarity. Um, the, the, the word that came out from the Palestinian side was that um, apparently this attack came as an initial response to an incident that was reported by an Israeli newspaper in which apparently five Palestinian mm. women were forced to strip by IDF soldiers in Hebron during a raid on an apartment in that city. And they claim that this is an initial response to what they consider to be their inappropriate behavior. There was another report that came out saying that the policeman who was stabbed in the old city, there was actually a video that showed him, uh, the woman approaching him and stabbing him. And then he kind of pushed her away and kicked her down onto the ground to try and distance her from him so that she wouldn't continue to attack him. And he kicked her once or twice in response to this event. And, and so some of the groups have come out claiming that it would be inappropriate to kick a woman in that sort of way mm -hmm. and that this is a response to the inappropriate kicking that she received as well as um, the reports of that strip search of uh, the um, women in Hebron. It's very, very difficult to verify exactly what happened, whether those incidents, the, especially the strip search, actually took place. But um, I doubt very much that anybody could argue with a border policeman when he'd just been attacked by, with a knife wielding by a knife-wielding woman that whatever he needed to do, um, I think she's quite lucky that she didn't get shot dead um, on the spot mm. for attacking him like that. So the, the kicking that she received one could consider to be sort of, um, you know, quite low-level response. Um, but, um, of course, the listeners, I'm sure, will have their views on this. Yeah, it's, uh, it's just... Uh Appalling, absolutely appalling when you look at this, uh, what is really going on. The ultra-Orthodox parties that are members of the ruling coalition have threatened to bring down the government if the Haredi draft law is not passed in the Knesset winter session. And, of course, this is something that I've been concerned about, not the Haredi draft specifically, but the fact that it's such an unstable and tenuous coalition that to keep it together is is... Uh, really uh, can result in all sorts of laws being passed. Um, it's true, and of course we've seen that, and, uh, and uh, it's interesting that the Haredi parties really referred to that specifically because um, we do know that the issue of the, the, the ultra-Orthodox draft law was a major um, point and uh, a pre-requirement, was a conditional point in the coalition agreement that they signed when they agreed to join the government. This was one of the main points that they hoped to achieve by joining the government. And in fact, in the coalition agreements, it was written quite clearly that they would not support passing the state budget unless this the draft law had been passed through the Knesset. Now, mm. the budget has been passed and they did support the budget in spite of the fact that it was clear that they were not going to support the budget without the draft law, they did support the budget. And I think now they're kind of regretting it because it seems as if the, 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 the draft law is being put onto the back burner a little bit because all the judicial reform is really taken uh, front stage. 
Um, and so now they've decided it's a good time to jump up and say, guys, when the Knesset reconvenes after the Chagim towards the end of October and the beginning of the winter session, that is the moment that we're going to expect this draft law to be put through because if it isn't put through, we're going to bring the, the government down. And I think that this is really pressure that's coming from the Haredi street where members of the Haredi community who supported these parties to come into the government and to join the coalition are seeing now that what they had hoped their their party would achieve by joining mm, the government mm. actually hasn't yet been achieved. And I think that these parties are potentially losing face in front of their electorate because of the fact that this main point really hasn't been achieved. So um, the, the Minister of, of Construction and Housing, Yitzhak Goldknopf, who is the leader uh, of the Haredi party, has made the, the statement. He said um, it was unfortunate that this Haredi draft law wasn't included at the time that the Derry law was being considered and during the time that the Ben Gvir law was being considered. And that's exactly the point that you made, Howard, that some very, very strange things have been pushed through the Knesset or being pushed through the Knesset because of the disparate desires and requirements mm, of mm. all the different factions of the coalition. Um, but uh, Goldknopf, as it said, it's a shame that he didn't force the coalition to consider the Haredi draft law. But this is certainly something that's going to come to a head within the next few months. And it's going to be very fascinating to see, first of all, what the Knesset decides on the Haredi draft law. And the further to that, whether it might be challenged in the high court, because that is a real possibility and what the outcome of that might be. Very interesting. And that's where we leave it. It is 8 o'clock. Anthony Reich, wishing you a, a fantastic weekend, a Shabbat Shalom. And of course, we'll catch you on Monday morning, 7.45 for the Israel Report. That Israel Report was brought to you by the Blue Agency. Your Israel property is in good hands. Owning properties in Israel can be a great investment, but challenging to manage if you're based abroad. The Blue Agency will manage every aspect of your property, finding and vetting tenants, maintaining your property and getting it rental ready, negotiating contracts and collecting rentals, reporting back to you regularly. The Blue Agency has built a reputation for trust and confidentiality over 20 years. The Blue Agency, your Israel property is in good hands. Contact us at www.thebluagency.com. Dot com.